0: Well, it's good good to start the, the service with um, with some prayer tonight. I did forget that we were going to do that this evening, and so Andrew to the rescue again. But glad that uh, we can we can pray and just commit some things to the Lord. And um, you know, I think I think sometimes we underplay the the part of prayer that uh, should be there when we gather. And so it's just good to do that this evening. Let's turn our Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4 and tonight well, I'm just going to give you just a bit of a, a highlight of uh, the, the different major events of the end times and we're going to get into Lord willing the next couple of Sunday evenings or so just talking about one of the major ones and that's the rapture and tonight i'm not going to not going to really get into much depth as far as what that means because we're going to we're going to cover it and then along the way we're going to refer to some of these events and that's why i wanted to cover that this evening so that we know we're all on the same page when we we get to those and now what i want you to do is is already have in your mind that the things we're going to cover tonight has been written about in, in several different places and uh, se- several different books have already addressed and, and really with the availability of information that we have today, maybe you've already started to look into some of these things and you've got some things in your mind. And you might, as we go through this study, you might already start to see that maybe there's a bit of a difference to what you understand and what you've already studied. And then as we go through it, it might just be that you're, you're inclined to just quickly send me an email or so forth. Here's what I want to tell you, wait till the end, all right? And so wait till the end, don't bombard me with emails every week, all right? Because I want to put the whole thing together and then you can ask the questions. All right, fair. Because there's, there's really, in our day today, particularly regarding the rapture, there's, there's a lot of theories out there that I think doesn't line up with the scriptures. And we want to just be sure about that because we're, we're a church that believes certain things. And we want to be the church that just just looks at the Word of God and then we're able to explain that. And what we're going to talk about, really, the, even the timeline of things and different events tonight, it really comes under the subject of eschatology And eschatology is is really the the doctrine or the study of last things. And from a theological point of view, it ranges from what happens to your soul when you die to a timeline of events for the end of the world. And it really answers one of the great three questions of humanity, where are we going? Where are we going? And I think that's why there's there's a great interest in it throughout the course of my lifetime anyway, and probably throughout the course of your lifetime, there's been a lot of interest in it, and I think in these times, probably of uncertainty, more so. There's a great interest in the end times and what this all means, and we're looking at all of the events of the world today, and we're asking ourselves, how does it all tie in? And and I think sometimes when we study end times, we can get carried away with the sign of the times rather than the saviour. And, and yet, really, when you study end times and the emphasis that the Bible has, there's some things about the signs, but there's much to make of the Savior. And that's going to be the emphasis as we go around the, the, the different events even, and even as we go through the rapture that we ought, to, we ought to think about even tonight. But really, firstly, it centers around the person of Christ and His plan. That's why we should be interested, because it's His plan and it centers around the person of Christ. It's always a good thing to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, there's, there's just personal blessing and edification in it. And if you quickly, I'm just going to read Revelation 1.3. You can turn there if you like, but you keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And, uh, but Revelation 1.3, the Bible says, Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And so, even as we think about the, the, the book that really mainly speaks about the end times revelations, there's a, there's a blessing to it. There's a personal edification, personal blessing if you, you would study it. Um, next reason, it's in the Bible, right? I know that's pretty obvious. It's in the Bible. But it finalizes all that God wants us to know. The book, the Bible, ends there, and so it's a good thing for us. You know, a lot of churches today—it's it's it's almost trendy not to cover these because there's such controversy. But the Bible speaks for itself, and and we ought to rest in the fact that the the God, in His wisdom, preserved it for us, so that uh, so that uh, it's part of the canon of Scripture. And so because it's in the Bible, we ought to want to study it. But also, I think it's good motivation for how we ought to live, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes we can, can, uh, can have other things in mind and we can get a little distracted, but actually when it comes down to it, and we'll see it in a bit, the, the study of these things, it, it's actually motivation, it's actually instructional on how we ought to live for today because we know these things. All right, and then lastly, another reason why we ought to study this topic is because we're to speak to one another about these things to comfort one another, right? And that's what we're going to see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and notice verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And notice verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So the thought of this event here and these events surrounding that ought to be a comfort to us. It ought to produce a comfort. It ought to produce some hope. And in the next few weeks, Lord willing, and, and you know, a bit stop and start with the different, different things coming up, but if you hang in there, we're going to go through and, and talk a little in, in, in depth about the rapture. And even if we do, we can really spend the rest of the year doing it, and we're not going to cover it completely. All right? But we're going to, we're going to try to, as best as we can, give, a, give an overall view and then answer some specific um, objections at times to our position. And, and we're going to talk about that as we go along. But we want to know what we believe about the end times and why we believe it. And, and it's important, I think, it's because again, it's part of the scriptures. But we'll, we'll look at a few a few of these. And so tonight, just to just to begin with, it really starts with this thing of apostasy. And there's a falling away. And in, Second in Thessalonians chapter two. Quickly turn there. And notice verses one and four. Now we be one to four. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that we as God, he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And uh, he goes on, and he's referring to here and clarifying some things, and we won't get into it this, this, um, this evening, but the first thing he says there that comes, there's a falling away first. And that word falling away, those the, really is the word apostasy, a falling away or a defection. It's apostasy. And in Acts twenty-one, twenty-one, a similar word is used, and in they're informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. And and, and that word there that is used is is teachest all. And the only other place used in the Bible in the in the original language is where the Jews were accusing Paul of doing, uh, doing so by not emphasizing circumcision any longer. So the point was it, it was, it was teaching something that was different. It has to do with a change in perceived religious truth. Okay, and so in the context of eschatology, apostasy is a falling away from orthodox doctrine or practice by Christianity. And so there's a, there's a moving away. Someone said it this way, it is an apostasy from sound doctrine, instituted worship, church government, and true holiness of life, as may be further considered afterwards. Neither is apostasy all at once, but gradual. And we're seeing it. You know, the, the, the reality is hard to, it's, this is hard to sort of ascertain as an event, isn't it? Because when you think about it, there's always been a falling away. There's always been remnants of Christianity that have become apostate and have become heretical in their doctrine. And there always have been those, and this isn't new, but this is the general direction that the world is heading in. And we generally gloss over the mistakes of previous generations and magnify our own. And so what we're saying is, oh, we must be in those times. It must be we're worse. And and we, we can think that our generation is much worse, but in all actuality... There's been a, a there's been just a general falling away. That's just the general direction of humanity. And, and one of the hallmarks of prophecy is is partial fulfillment precedes full fulfillment. There's an unraveling of it, and so that's what we've seen historically. All right, there there are movements today that we won't fellowship with because they've just completely fallen away in their doctrine. But if you were to look back a hundred years ago, independent Baptists would even fellowship with those that would come under a different banner. Why? Because they had the doctrine right. There was doctrine that was similar. There was those fundamentals of the faith that we would adhere to and we would all agree on, and there would be some sort of an enabling there of our fellowship together. But because of this, this uh, precipitating thing that is the falling away, we're, we're going to see this going becoming more and more. And, and we're seeing evidence of this now. You know, you think about Christendom in general. You, you think about some of the, the largest, uh, largest movements or li- largest Christian bodies, and they're debating things that never used to be debated. You look at the Southern Baptist Convention now, which is the largest... Uh, largest, largest Protestant organization, and they're de- debating over whether, whether women can be pastors of churches when the Bible is very clear about that, right? And they're debating over that, and they're, they're, they've got whole convention meetings, and they've got committees and subcommittees debating the meaning of what a pastor is. And we understand that, that whilst they're different to us, there's some, some things that we would probably adhere to similar. But you, you see that the largest group, and you see in your, around some of the, some of those great movements of the past, who were, were founded by good, godly men, who are now espousing uh, work work agendas, they're espousing you know the, the, the whole Uh, the whole idea that there's more than one, uh, more than two, sorry, more than two genders. And they're they're having people behind their pulpits who are, are just absolutely wicked in their lifestyle before God. And they're ordaining them. And you have those like the Wesleys who founded the Methodist Church, who is in our country, the Uniting Church, who probably, if they could would be rolling in their grave because of the things that are happening in their... And I'm saying there's, there's always been this falling away and there's, there's really, when you think about it, less missionaries per capita going to the field. There's denominations that, again, with biblical orthodoxy are diminishing. They're just denying plain Bible truth. There's worldliness in churches that are on the rise. They're dropping... Church and wanting to name it something else and their obsession with being relevant to the world. And there's just a lack and a a continual lacking of influence that Christianity has on the world today. Where it used to be that, that whole countries like ours were founded on just solid Christian principles. It used to be that that was the accepted norm, that, that we had some sort of influence and really, if I can say it, power. And there's a diminishing of that. In fact, not only a diminishing of that, there's a decrying of it like it's something that is harmful to society. And we're living in days where there are those who are, uh, those, are, those who are calling evil good and good evil. That's what I'm saying. There's a falling away. And so... There's, there's other key passages to it in Matthew 24, verses 11 and 12. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In First Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we quickly turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice a descriptive of the last days. Look at verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now skip down to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he says, but continue thou, right? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. So... So there's a command there throughout all of this to, to stay, remain steadfast, but the re- reality was is because there's a falling away, there's a moving away from just the, the truth of God's word. And that's, that's in God's people. That's in Christianity in general. And so the first sort of event or, or, or characteristic of the last days is really just this thing called the falling away. It's apostasy. Then what we see, and we read it early in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is what we see is there's a, there's a uh, the rapture of the church. Notice again, verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay, and again, I'm not going to cover it in any detail tonight because we're gonna, that's going to be the subject matter of our series, but... Basically, the rapture of the church is the catching away of those who are born again who have put their faith in Christ. You know what that is? That's the church. All right. It's not church membership. The church is defined as those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you're saved, you've, you've trusted Him as your Savior, you're in Christ, you're a part of the church. And there's going to be a catching away. That's what we, know we would ordinarily call the rapture of the church. And what we find in scripture is that it's pre tribulation. Okay, it's before the tribulation. Why? Because we're going to learn as well that that seven year period called the tribulation is a time where God will judge the earth and then really reinstate Israel as the witness for Him on earth and a time Israel will repent and accept Jesus as Messiah. The whole tribulation period was never designed for the church, it was designed for the nation of Israel. And we're going to see that and prove that in Scripture. All right? but, but it's pre-tribulation. We, have, we hold to a pre-trib position. And there's a lot of other ones, and we'll talk about those when we get to it, and we'll, we'll show biblically why that can't be the case. all right? So, so that's, the, that's, that's the rapture. And I referred to it earlier, but then the next event that we see is really the seven years' tribulation. In Matthew twenty four twenty one, For then shall be great tribulation, tribulation such, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time no, nor ever shall be. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. Even, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so the, the whole idea of the great tribulation, this seven-year period, only ever had to do with Israel. It's, it's also called the time of Jacob's trouble there in Jeremiah chapter 30. And, and we won't even reference it, but really key to this understanding is Daniel's 70th week prophecy. And we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll look at that. And, and, and you, you read it plain and simple in your Bibles. That time only had to do with Daniel's people. And can I, can I hear you say it? Who's Daniel's people? Israel. It's Israel. And there's a difference in the word of God between the Gentiles, Israel, and the church. And don't get those three mixed up. All right. And we'll look at that again in the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. But within the great, that time of great tribulation, that seven-year period where the mercy of God is removed, the judgment of the world is imminent, and the spiritual economy is returned back to Israel. All right, And some events in that, the Antichrist is revealed. There's a peace pact with Israel between uh, them and Antichrist there's a, that's broken after three and a half years. There's an abomination of desolation. He sets himself up to be God right there in the temple. The, there's a deadly wound that's healed. There's a se- severe judgments of revelation that you can read through the different judgments there. But it ends in the battle of Armageddon between the world and God. And guess what? We get to come in with him. Right? But it ends in victory. All right? So that's the seven year tribulation. Really, the next thing is the return of Christ as king and judge. Now, go with me to Revelation chapter 19. In verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who were we speaking about? It's Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him up upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. And he goes on, that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men and flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, that with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image; these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Boy, what a what a battle! What what a victory! And we see that's the return of Christ. And what a stark uh, we're going to see a stark difference between the rapture and what we see there about the return. We're going to see that in, in the next couple of weeks. But then the next thing that happens is the millennial reign. And, and that continues on in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, Right, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So Christ will reign. A thousand years, literally a thousand years. Okay, so there's the millennial reign. It's, again, commonly known as the millennium. It's also referred to sometimes as the restoration because it refers to the nation of Israel being restored in full power to its land. All of those, all of those Abrahamic promises and the Davidic ones, the covenants given, the, the agreements between God and Israel, all of that then comes back into play in the millennial kingdom. All right, it's nothing to do With the church, all those promises are physical promises to the nation of Israel, right? And the restoration there refers to the millennial reign. But then we see that there's the final rebellion, and in Revelation chapter 20 verses 7 to 10, we see and when the the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And by the way, we, we are fighting a defeated foe right there. But there's a final rebellion. He's going to be loosed, he's going to deceive the nations, and there's going to be this final assault uh, on God. And yet, what we find again is that they're defeated. Okay, and, and the final assault will be decisively dealt with by King Jesus, who rules with a rod of iron. And where human governments have failed, God's government doesn't fail, and we see that. All right then, we see the next one is just really just the final judgment in Revelation chapter twenty, verse. Uh, now we continue on here, verse eleven. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we have here what we commonly know as the great white throne judgment, and then the final judgment of those who have rejected Jesus from all the ages, those who were not written in the book of life. There's a judgment of them. And so, again, there's, the, there's that, that judgment. And then the last bit, in, in the, the last major event is just found in, in chapter 21. And we see here in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this, this is what we call the new creation, or really the final redemption. Or all of the issues, the fallen creation, it's been dealt with, and now we have a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new creation. And we see here that the, the, all of the initial problems of the world, God's dealt with it. See, God completes what we can't. And He completes it. And so we know it as the new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, the fall, all the curse has been resolved. Jesus wins. Creation is restored. His people are one family. He rules, He reigns, and we are with Him. Right? And there's a consummation of all the issues of life Jesus just solves it all <laughs> and so that's that's where it ends and and I know I went quick right I know we went through that and, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks I might just give you a diagram so that you can refer to it but over the next couple of weeks we're going to focus on the rapture in particular and I want to be able to show you scripturally where these uh, where, where that falls into place and, and what the scriptures have to say about that all right but but again, understand that, that at times it's, it's going to be very controversial. And for every one of our main arguments, there's probably going to be a counter-argument. But I will hope to address all of those as best as I can. But here's the point I want to make, though. And here's the challenge I want to give you because we're just starting off. This isn't given to us just for knowledge. It, it's meant to affect us now it's meant to do something in our hearts that that god intended and so i want you to look at second peter chapter 3 and then we'll be done and notice he, he says Here, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God. The heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water whereby the world that, was, that then was being overflowed with water perished. So we're re- referencing the flood. But the heavens and earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so he's referring to the last days here certain events, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and, and it's the will of God. He wants all to come to, re- to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall met with, melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up, and here's the point he says in verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? In all, all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the day of God, wherein the heavens being on, the fi- on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And then he'll talk about Paul and all of his epistles, but he's saying that because you know these things, because you know that actually eventually this earth will be dissolved, And he doesn't go into specifics over the different events there, but that's the consummation of it all. But then he says the promise of the new heaven and new earth. He said that's meant to cause us to be a certain manner of people. That's meant to cause us to live godly. That's meant to cause us to live righteously. And we're meant to live a certain way. Why? Because we know these things. And that's the point. You know, I've, I've sat with a lot of people who have a great interest in prophecy and end times and doesn't do one iota, make it one iota of difference in how they live. They still live like they live. It doesn't change them. And that's where there's, sometimes there's an interest in that and that's what I'm saying right from the beginning. So often the emphasis of these studies is the signs of the times. But you know, signs was never the thing that God pointed to. God always pointed to a Savior. And we're meant to live for Him. We're meant to live in the hope of who He is and, and, and the, the spirit of prophecy is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's meant to draw us closer to the Lord, not fill us with more knowledge. And so I want you to approach the next couple of weeks, the Lord willing, as we... We talk about the rapture. I want, you to, I want you to approach it with this: comfort ye one another with these words, <laughs> and it's meant to be a comfort. And I'll, I will demonstrate that biblically. Why? Because it's all about the fact that the Lord Jesus keeps His promises, and we need to we need to live in such a way, in such a manner. Why? Because you know these things, and you know by the end of it, here's what's going to happen: we're going to be more accountable which means that we ought to live more accordingly to what he prescribes right here. Live more holy, live, live a life that's righteous. And, and, so, and so that's it tonight. I know it was quick, and, and, but Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably bleed into June. I just realized, you know, we have next week, we don't have a, an evening service. We want to give families an opportunity to be together for Mother's Day. And then the following week, and then the following week after that, more than likely for Family Fun Day, we're going to have an afternoon service. And I'll tell you what, as exciting as the rapture is, it's still an afternoon service and you're all going to fall asleep, so we're going to do that. Um, but we're going to go through June and, and probably just, just, um, just continue as, as, we, as we continue to investigate and look into the Word of God about the rapture. And so have, your, have your, uh, your hearts ready, have your thinking caps ready as well as we go through that in the next couple of weeks. And, um, and, then, and then hopefully we'll, we'll be assured as we look in Scripture um, of, of, that, of that blessed hope, the rapture. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for the time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we, we had just to quickly, even tonight, get, some, get, get a bit of a download of the, the major things that will happen in the future. And, and yet, Lord, we can get bogged down in the, the very details of the events without allowing it to change our lives without allowing it, Lord, to to cause us to look to the Saviour in, in a more vivid way, in a more determined way. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as a church and help us as your people to get into the week, Lord, looking to, to honour you with our lives, looking to live holy, looking to live righteously for you. And Father, looking for that blessed hope. And I pray that we're comforted with that. I pray that, Lord, as we look into your word in the next few weeks and, and maybe even month. That you would help us, dear God, to understand and, and glean from it, and then by faith trust in, uh, in in the in your word and how you teach us, dear God. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, and I pray for your blessing upon the week in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.